This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome back to the Space Hour on Federal News Network. We've talked a lot about emerging aerospace companies on this show, so we thought it was time to speak with one of them. York Space builds satellites to their customers' likings and are in the process of expanding their headquarters in Denver, Colorado. To learn more about the company and get a little background on their work, I spoke to the company's executive chairman, Charles Beams. You know, I, I was uh, started off as an Air Force uh, space and intelligence officer, uh, retired as a colonel, uh, and was also involved very much in the acquisition uh, development of a lot of next generation space technology that's on orbit today. A lot of which is classified, so I can't talk about it. But a lot of a lot of which is not. <laughs> but a lot of which is not things like GPS and and communication satellites and the early warning systems that you know do the missile warning and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but but uh, you know I frankly uh, then I. I retired from the Air Force, and then I was, I was in, um, I was a, a the principal director of space and intelligence during Obama's uh, first term. So I ran that whole uh, that those all that that investment account, if you want to think of it that way. That's a that was a lot. You know, it's defense, so the numbers get big. It's, it's tens of billions, kind of a thing. I uh, did that for about three and a half, almost four years, and then I went into the. Um, uh, and went to work for Paul Allen, uh, and I, as the as the president of uh, Vulcan Aerospace, I managed his uh, an, uh, an investment fund uh, of over a billion dollars in aerospace investments across uh, all dis- different risk profiles and all that kind of stuff. And and I and I did that because I really wanted to understand more about the commercial world because I wanted to I wanted to solve a problem that um, that has plagued the defense industry and specifically the space one, which is this idea that we're just not moving fast enough, frankly. And so I thought, you know, once an officer, always an officer. Once you take that oath, you, you can never set it aside. And I always wanted to come back and see if I could solve that problem from a different uh, route. And And that's really what my ambition has been. Uh, and it's manifested in many things. Um, the big, the most the most visible one of you being York Space Systems, but also, frankly, all the other companies in the uh, the, the Small Sat Alliance, which is an industry group that I uh, that I chair. Um, it's about 60 companies that are all involved in this next generation space stuff, and every one of them are very interested in uh, this the same ambition, frankly, of of allowing this next generation of space technology to to be able to serve and, and, and meet a lot of the government needs. Yeah, over the years, what uh, from speaking to other folks like yourself within the industry, um, kind of the, the theme that's been running through is the, just the amount of communication between uh, private and public sector has grown exponentially, and that's kind of why we're seeing this fast meteoric rise of uh, space yeah. activity and the amount of investment, the dollars that you were talking about. Is, is that kind of your sense as well? It is, and I think uh, uh, the other thing is that we we all of us kind of have a uh, owe a debt of gratitude to to the folks that set a lot of this in motion. And on the industry side, it was SpaceX, Elon Musk, and Gwen Shotwell. And on the government side, it was it was uh, largely uh, Lori Garver in NASA, and it was uh, Frank Kendall when he was the ATNL. Um, he now he's the secretary of the Air Force, but uh, 
they all set in motion a lot of what now is this multi multi billion dollar industry by by freeing up and encouraging the commercial uh, world to engage. You know, in the case of NASA, the big thing was commercial resupply and the commercial crew, right? That was a big deal. Uh, and uh, and then on Frank Kendall's side, you know, he was the what they call the chief weapons buyer back then. Um, it was it was opening up the the launch, you know, allowing SpaceX to compete directly against the, the a very powerful incumbent that was basically formed by the government. Um, that was doing an excellent job, but it was expensive, and um, and he made a it was one of his very uh, deliberate talking points, and um, and you know these things take a while for the the real fruit to to be born, but it's it's there now, and the the world is watching and really enjoying it. Um, so with all the uh, investment that is coming in now, um, and both yeah. public and private money. Um, where do you foresee this all going towards everyone? You know, I hate to hamstring people with uh, predictions, but <laughs> I wanted to know, you know, what what do you think that we'll be seeing um, as far as the amount of investments? Where's the money going to head? Oh, I think uh, I have no problem with predictions. I, I actually think that we're just we're truly at the dawn of it. We if you think about where uh, aviation was in the 1920s. It, right. And, and it really, that was an era when when Boeing owned the airline and it was all very segment or it was all in its infancy. And the government really hadn't stepped in and, and, and regulated it the way it needed to to promote growth. Uh, but then when, when, when they did and you started having the, the Pan Am and the early airlines and then it, it just kept going. Uh, the 20th century was the century of aviation. Right. The airplane, if there's one thing that defined the, the 20th century. It is the uh, it's the airplane and the, how it changed the world, uh, culture, societies, investment, transportation, everything, and uh, and you know America led that, frankly, and um, and I sort of I see the same thing, the same parallel going on with with space. The government's doing exactly the same kinds of moves. Uh, there's a huge commercial, just like in the beginning, there people people are scratching their head about airplanes. Like, what good can airplanes be to to everyday people? Because we were kind of more uh, just the people didn't travel all that much. They didn't see a need to. You were either a farmer or you worked in the city, and that was it. Uh, and I think space is similar, except it's unbounded, frankly. Um, so it's it's very exciting, and and I, I think the the money is going to keep the investments are going to keep coming. There will be companies that the investments don't pan out, but I think that and that was true in aviation in the early days. That was true in automotive in the early days. But that doesn't mean that it was all a big, uh, uh, a big mistake or you know that kind of a thing. Um, in fact, the, the thing the, the thing for the government to do is to actually back away from quote investment and just focus focus on the regulatory stuff, uh, and then and and focus on being a uh, a consumer just like. Uh, just like the government is right now, government doesn't own an airline, right? It 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 it, it buys tickets, frankly, uh, for the millions of federal workers that fly all over the world, right? They're just they're just another customer of the airlines. They negotiate a good deal because there's a lot of them, but but that's and that's I think it's that shift that hasn't quite happened yet, but I think we're very close. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison because um, just from my very minimal study of the aviation industry, it, it, it also 
afforded a lot of its growth to the need for postal routes, actually, that the government needed. And so, yeah, I've never heard that comparison before. But, yeah, I guess the government is probably looking for more of a long-term investment as a customer rather than, you know, anything else. Right, right. I think I think the switch. But, but then the regulatory environment was very necessary, right, for air traffic control, for breaking up, uh, you know, companies were becoming too powerful and they had to be broken up. You had in the beginning the, the you know, and it was perfectly logical. The people that invented the and, and made the first airplanes, they said, well, we need an airline. So they developed an airline. Um, and then at a certain point, they realized, well, no, that's not good for America. Right. We need to the government has a right, the antitrust kinds of things to step in and and kind of break some of the stuff up so that you have a very healthy, competitive environment. So there is a role. There are. I, I think the, the government understands that um, our government moves slowly, and that's by design. That's okay. Uh, they're moving in the right direction, um, and uh, and there's great great folks uh, that are that are taking that on. Frankly, folks like Wayne Monteith um, at the FAA, who he's taking this on. He's doing a, a fantastic job, and and then now Frank Kendall's back as the, as the Secretary of the Air Force. I mean, you couldn't you could not have a, a better setup to to sort of shepherd air and space leadership at that at that uh, political level than than Frank Kendall, frankly. Well, we've talked about the past and the future. Let's talk about the present. Uh, tell me about some of the work that um, you all are doing at York Space Systems now and what uh, you all are excited about in the near future. Well, it's exciting because, you know, we're a company that uh, we, we start off. With really a kind of a simple a simple goal, we just want to build a really good quality small satellite, and we want to operate them for our customers, and and, and we just want to do that really really well. And it turns out that that's a useful thing for 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 a company to do for our customers. And uh, as as we were really uh, we were thrilled that we were able to even just make the the, the company work. We had our projections, you know we. We didn't we didn't do the venture capital thing. We took uh, we went the private investor route. But um, but, you know, nonetheless, we had to raise some some investment money and all that kind of stuff. And and um, frankly, uh, our 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 numbers, our success exceeded even our best our best guesses when we're pitching, you know, when you're putting your best foot forward. Uh, and what the, the announcement I think that you're talking about, um, this new new facility that will be uh, will be operational here just in another month and a half, I think, uh, is um, it's on the south side of Denver, uh, and it's going to be it's purely for the commercial business. A lot of, there's a lot of reporting on the uh, the government side of this whole business, and that's interesting, and that's important to constituents and Congress and all that, and that's great. Uh, what what's also happening doesn't get reported as much, and part of it's because we don't we don't really, frankly, York doesn't really talk about it. We build for other people. We don't build satellites for ourselves. We build them for our customers. We operate them for our customers, and that and that business is really doing well. Um, some of our customers choose to do press releases about it. Some of them don't. Um, that's up to them. You know, we're happy to we're happy to you know pile on if they want us to but it's, it's totally up to them uh we we're very comfortable being behind the scenes but but the facility that we're building here is um or is, is built that we will be uh begin like full production in very soon um it it's uh it's 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 enormous it's our biggest facility yet and uh and it's purely dedicated to our commercial customers and who are our commercial customers largely uh, they are 
commercial they're, they're companies that are uh, building their data providers right so they're they're more involved in the analytics but they want to have their own constellation of satellites rather than buying the data from somebody else they want to have their own constellation so there's those people there are um, uh, there are companies that want to build constellations to provision to other countries right so that's that's another um, business and then there's and then the other interesting one are you know I, I, we call them the fortune 50 companies that are are wealthy enough and they have an interest in in having their own constellation for many, for a lot of different purposes uh sometimes it's communications sometimes it's rem- it's uh data storage with communications it's it can be uh com- um remote sensing kinds of things most of these fortune 50 companies are they're worldwide right they have facilities and infrastructure all over the world and they they want to be able to monitor all that and so uh not all of them need this but some of them do and so that's an interesting one because the, the price of these satellites it, it, it's much like the uh, the computers were in the 90s where every year i we tell our customer i tell my customer if you want to wait two years if you can wait two years it's going to be cheaper so if you need one now buy one now if if you don't need it for for two or three years just wait and you'll get more capability at a lower price. Now, that never happens in in the, in the traditional defense industry, right? Because it's just it, the 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 numbers just don't work that way, right? It's all about you want to get more money from Congress so you can employ more people. Commercial companies don't operate that way. Commercial companies are about they're about earnings, right? It's it's about earnings. They don't people are expensive. Of course, we want to we want to the jobs that that York provisions are very high paying. Uh, jobs, right? They're they're professional grade, very. But but uh, but you know, one of the reasons why our satellites are so inexpensive is because there's not a lot of labor that goes into them. It's a very clever design, the very sophisticated manufacturing facilities, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't need to go on and on, but it, that that I hope you find that useful as an explanation. No, absolutely. And actually, as a with your former background in acquisition, I wanted to maybe pick your brain a little bit about the small and nano satellite technology because, um, you know, we recently talked to the Air Force Research Laboratory about it um, and how it's really being utilized more and more. But it's still something, you know, I had to straight up ask, you know, what does it look like? Is it how big is it? You know, what, um, what, yeah. what when did you first get introduced to the, to the technology and what, you know, what are some of your thoughts on it? Well, uh, originally, I learned of the small satellite stuff, gosh, a very long time ago. Um, when, when I learned about the cube, what they call CubeSats, that were being, mm-hmm. uh, were being run as basically graduate school projects out of Stanford, right? And and they were kind of largely viewed that way. They were they were viewed as largely, uh, and CubeSats kind of still are, though there are some real. Uh, constellations out there that are that are you know provisioning real data and all that. Um, but I, I first was intrigued. They were more of an instructional device in the beginning. But I was intrigued by the fact that you could have all the, the different functions of a, of a satellite in in a ten centimeter cube. And then uh, and so I've always I've always kind of thought it was interesting. But in the in the early days, a lot of people had had pejorative names for, to call them because they were small and they weren't very capable and you know weren't very capable to the billion dollar multi billion dollar ones that I was responsible for as an acquisition leader. But um, but over time, you know, Moore's law is a funny thing. It just keeps 
it keeps crunching along. So you had you had Moore's law continuing, and then you had uh, a gentleman by the name of Elon Musk who just stepped right in the middle of the launch business and said, "I'm gonna like do this for a fifth the price of what of what uh, the incumbents doing." And and a lot of us were excited, but we were also a little bit suspicious. Turns out he did it. And it turns out that that changed it for everybody else. And so now um, uh, when I was I, I invested in a lot of different uh, small sat companies when I was running Paul Allen's investments, um, and those have 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 done well. Black Sky uh, is one of them. There's there, there's a few others. Uh, and um, and they all so so now there are still some. Again, there's some CubeSats still being made, and those now are a little bit bigger than they were back when they were just 10 centimeters on a side. Now they've moved up to be what they call 6U, maybe 12U, which would be like 12 of those 10 centimeter cubes. It's the size of either like a shoebox or a, a small microwave oven kind of a thing. Now what York makes is is bigger than that, um, and it's not based on a CubeSat design. It's, it's, a, it's actually a very unique design. Nobody else designs and builds a satellite the way we do. But it ends up being we have two we have two series we have the S class and the LX class. The S class is is uh, kind of in that 80 to 150 kilogram total mass uh, type satellite, and then the LX is is much more capable. Um, it, it's about 50 percent bigger, much much more capable, and frankly, not that much more expensive. Um, you could think of it a little bit like an iPhone versus an iPad. Right, same iOS, same functions. Actually, uh, it's just, do you need a big screen or not? Right, is really what it comes down to. There's convenience in being small and carrying the iPhone in your pocket, but then there's, but there's, there's utility in having a big screen if you need one. And and really, for our customers, they they're they're either S class guys or LX, and that's kind of how it falls out. But they're they're actually pretty close to the same price. I'll tell you from the standpoint of our the build out of our facility. Um, you know, we can we can build with this new facility when we when it's operational here in about a month and a half. Um, uh, we'll be able to build 70 satellites simultaneously. And that's that's a big deal, because w- what happens with our commercial customers is they come in and they say, OK, we want we want 10 or we want to put up 20 of these things because they're 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 just a few million dollars a piece now. Right. They're very inexpensive. They're almost the, they're getting the price what of like, a you know, a server, frankly, like a sun server was in the 90s. That's how like a mail server in the 90s. I mean, that's how cheap they're getting. And uh, and so we can build 10 or 20 or or 40 if they want 40 at a time. We build them all in parallel. Boom, they go out and they can get launched on a on a Falcon 9 um, and they they can immediately have their their constellation up and running. It, it's not necessarily a one or two kind of a thing. They can also launch obviously on the small rocket lab or uh, virgin orbits uh, rocket that kind of thing but um, anyway very interesting times exciting uh, there there has not been this is the most exciting time in 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 space history if you're a, if you're a business person it's the most expensive most exciting time um, if uh, it just the only other time obviously the Apollo era was very very exciting uh, going to the moon there's just nothing quite like that but uh, anyway it's great to be in the business. 
we are good to go. Charles Beams is executive chairman of York Space. That's going to do it for this edition of the Space Hour. If you missed any of these interviews, you can find them on our website. Head to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Space Hour. I'm Eric White. We'll see you again next month. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.